Hey, Sherry, Sherry, quite contraries. This is a part of a podcast where the host tells you all the ways to support the podcast, from leaving ratings and reviews to supporting Patreons and buying merch. And at Shared History, we would love for you to do that. But we're going to be a little contrary. We'd like to take this time to encourage you to instead donate that money to the ACLU, NAACP, Campaign Zero, your local bond or freedom fund, your local Black Lives Matter chapter, or any number of other deserving organizations out there fighting racism and providing resources and support to our Black communities and amplifying Black voices. If you have the time and the funds to support us too, that is great. But if you have to choose one or the other, we would like to ask you to please donate your money to these causes. Thank you. And without further ado, enjoy this week's guest episode. Welcome. To Arcade Audio. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Shared History. Veni Vidi History. <laughs> Why? <laughs> Like Vanny Vidi Vici, we came, we saw, we historyed. All right, uh, that was a stretch. Hey friends, uh, hey friends, I'm, it's your it's your host Cass, and and I'm Nat, and that cackle in the background is courtesy of our beautiful baby boy, our uh, our latest guest on the podcast, the one and only uh, Gareth Spin. Goo Gaga, what's up? What's up? Here I am. Thanks for having me. This is an honor, Thanks. truly. Thanks for joining us. Yeah. Gareth, it's an uh, honor for us because Gareth is is an integral part of shared history. Natalie, yeah, he made, do you want to explain? He made our theme music. Uh, our theme song is a Gareth Spin original because he's a fantastic musician in, well, here in Chicago. Gareth, do you play the harpsichord? How does that work? No, no, that was not me. So I... While I did, I, I did the rock and roll bit, but I actually Ooh. sampled you initially when you guys reached out to me, or at least Natalie, she um, she sent me some harpsichord pieces and I found one that worked and I just kind of wanted to, you guys kind of gave me some instruction and I just kind of used that. I found I really went out of my way because I, I started. I worked in the music industry, and so I understand like copyright and all that stuff. And I found a Creative Commons uh, version of a harpsichord piece that you guys sent me, and so I just got my hands on that one way or the other, and I dropped that into kind of intro, and then I kind of went off in another direction that uh, you guys pointed me towards. So it was Gareth fun. Spin making sure that we don't get sued. Yes. Well, yes. it's perfect because I remember Natalie and I talking about like what we want it to sound like and i was like i want this and i think this and whatever and then she showed it to me and i was like oh it's perfect yeah when she sent me the email she said like um avril lavigne meets the strokes i'm like girl you called the right boy for (laughs) sure 
And I remember initially I was going way too complicated and then I like simplified it and then Why'd I, you have to go and make things so complicated? <laughs> yes. <laughs> exactly, exactly. No, it was uh it was it was hard at first and then it was so easy and then it was one of the more exciting things I turned over to uh, a client because it was just I, I felt like I followed the prompt uh, like to a T and so yeah it was fun it was it's beautiful it's, it's perfect perfection. we love it Thank you. I'm Thank you. I'm glad Natalie that we decided to go away from the uh, theme song lyric route <laughs> I have, do you have any uh do you have any uh uh, uh deleted scenes from uh, the uh lyric we never, vault we had briefly talked about it but natalie and i cooked up some lyrics <laughs> oh, yeah. you want to sing them together in unison right now <laughs> uh-huh. for sure a one a, a two, two a, a one, one two, two three, three. It's, it's shared his history it's it's you and me. Um, you guys don't understand how difficult this is to do remote. Yeah, yeah. We just made we just made uh, DJ Rips life real complicated. Yep. Who who we forgot to introduce? Well, fine. We'll do it now. It's ladies. DJ Rips. It's so hard to do things in unison. <laughs> it sounds like a nice reverb situation. Yeah, fix that in post. That's what they yeah. say in the biz. <laughs> um, Just oh, like yeah. this is going to be the only time I talk because I've already messed up my sync. So I'll just only put this part in. Goodbye for the rest of the episode, everybody. Bye. No. Again, so many people just turned off this episode when they heard that. I just turned off. Um, <laughs> Oh no, where'd Gareth go? <laughs> well, I mean, Gareth, as a as a thank you for all of your hard work on our theme song, we decided to ask you to do more hard work. <laughs> more and more work than before. Yes. So do homework and research things. <laughs> mm-hmm. So that you could tell us a story on this episode of Shared History. Yes, it is my honor. I was intimidated because I feel like you guys do like you guys take it seriously and I, I i feel like that's like a bit of a backhanded compliment but i don't mean it to be <laughs> <laughs> i don't mean it to be but i like i listened to a recent episode and i was like oh these chicks are stepping it up and so uh kudos to you guys for being like real history buffs i think so it's, it's not that gareth it's that we're actors actors oh yeah <laughs> actors <laughs> Did you say liars? Yes. yes. No. No. <laughs> yes. Um, shall I begin? Please. All right. Please. Yes. So today I am going to tell you about uh, Clara Schumann. Uh, she was born Clara Wieck. She was born September 13th, 1819 in Leipzig, Germany. She is a, I, I mean, this is a, a this is coined by, by me, maybe only, but I tend to think of her as the first lady shredder. Um, she is Ooh. a classical pianist. Oh, I thought, I, thought you, I thought she trained uh, Ninja Turtles. <laughs> you know what's so funny? Also, she you know, would just talk to like the statues, the actual statues of the, the masters. 
Yeah. You know what's so funny? When I was researching this, I just threw Lady Shredder into Google, and there is a Lady Shredder out there. <laughs> like from, also... from Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, there's a Lady Shredder in Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle lore. Can I ask a question? Did you also, did that search, uh, Google search also turn up, like, results of basically, like, Shredder from Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, like, basically porn? <laughs> no, what is that rule? What is that rule? Rule 34? No. No, no Lady Shredder porn. No, none of that. I'm shocked. <laughs> Though, I didn't go, I, I was, I, I didn't go too deep into the search. I'm, uh, you know, if it, it, the rule, what the rule, whatever it is, if it exists, there's a porn of it, so I'm sure it's out there somewhere. Oh, yeah. Um, but, uh, Clara was a, um, a classical pianist, uh, 19th century. She came from uh, two musical parents, Frederick Wieck and Marianne Wieck. Frederick was a piano teacher, voice teacher, owner of a piano store locally, and he was an author and a music critic, uh, or like an author of music essays and music reviews, um, and this will be an underlying theme, very controlling. Um, his Ooh. Yes. Um, this is a bit of a soap opera. There's a lot of ups and downs, mostly downs. <gasps> I, I, <clears throat> I'm going to prep you. This is not, this does not end, it, it, this is, there's no happy ending here, I don't think. I mean, in some oh. ways there is, but not really. Um, oh, spoiler alert. I know. Uh, Marianne uh, is uh, Frederick's wife. She was also uh, an, a touring opera singer. She was a, a, a superhero. She toured while pregnant, which doesn't matter if it's 2020 or it's 1819. That is ballin'. That is tough. I know women who have toured uh, while pregnant, and I tip my cap to them because that is serious. Um, she uh, actually was a former student of Frederick, uh, um, and they had five kids in eight years. She, uh, Marianne was actually the one who taught Clara the piano at age four before she even spoke, which is kind of another side thing. She, she had a very strange childhood. She didn't speak until after age four. Um, this, is, this is already a soap opera because we've started with like a teacher-student relationship. Yeah, there's a, there's a lot of that for sure. Never bodes well. Yeah. This is a the, very like don't stand so close to me moment yes um so (laughs) (laughs) um after uh uh, marianne and frederick's uh fifth child uh marianne divorced frederick because of his controlling nature um get it girl in in divorce they quibbled over custody of all the children and somehow they brokered a deal um so that frederick had custody of clara after age five which is strange to me is like before age five, not equipped to be a father. After yeah. age five, well, who gives a shit? Well, like, <laughs> anyone what? Can do age it. five yeah. is like the age of reason. So it's like, I'm gonna let mom do all the hard work. I, then once the kid's ready, good mm-hmm. to go, all cooked up. Once the kid's ready to work, then. <laughs> yeah, basically. And we're at what? Please we're go eight- teach her her scales on the piano. And when she's yep. ready, you send her to me. Yeah. yeah. Uh, exactly. Actually, that's pretty much exactly it. Um, they actually thought, uh, I mentioned that she didn't speak until four. They actually thought she was like a deaf mute, but because she was picking up piano, they were like, okay, she's fine. But because of she's like. She's not deaf. She's not deaf. And, but it was all because of like the horrible household situation that she was dealing with. And because, uh, because Frederick was. Uh, psychotic as you will find out um she's not a deaf mute she just doesn't want to talk to you dad (laughs) yes exactly uh so uh after age five um 
that's when uh, Frederick started, started the, the, the gears started turning for him to be a crazy show dad. He was teaching her, uh, it was very intense lessons of piano and theory and composition. He would also send her throughout Germany for other lessons of, uh, of theory and harmony and counterpoint. Um, and he actually, I, I feel like... I can't even imagine what this was like, but he taught from his own textbook. Uh, the oh, V. I know, I know. When I read that, I was like, oh, God. That's like the professors being like, all right, you're going to spend an extra $150 in your course <laughs> to get my textbook. Yeah. Which yeah. you never end up using. Right, of course. Um, and I actually love the name of the uh, textbook. It was Veek's Piano Education for a Delicate Touch and a Singing Sound. <laughs> And wait, what was the last part? A delicate touch and a singing sound. I love that title. It's a great yeah. title. I have to give him that for sure. So she was doing lessons all day. She was practicing for hours on end. She really had no friends at this point. She was being pulled from traditional school so that she, because she was bred, she was kind of like almost like a, it was almost like a Michael Jackson situation where she was bred to be a child prodigy on piano. Um, uh, she was practicing hours a day. She, starting at around age 11 through 29, she was pumping out about one to eight compositions a year, which sounds like not a lot, but at the time, you know, compositions are in the 30 minute to an hour range. So that's a lot of material that she's putting out. Um, well, and it's for all. All the full orchestration, right? It depends. Yes. So, like, yes. Sometimes um, I listen to some of her stuff. I listen to a uh, concerto of her, which is that is uh, of hers. I mean, uh, and that a concerto is like a full orchestra um, uh, situation. And yes, so that can be uh, composing for a full orchestra, or it can be something like a a sonata, which is like um, maybe just piano. Um, But yeah, either either way, still there were long. I you know I. I listened to uh, a handful of different works, and they were long compositions, so she was no slouch uh, by any stretch. Um, Excuse me. Um, So in this time, she's starting to uh, perform. At age nine, she makes her public debut, um, and daddy starts taking this a little too seriously, living vicariously through his offspring uh, pretty significantly, uh, and Clara is significantly isolated at this time. At an early age, around eight or nine, he orders her to write in a diary and then would just read it, would just read her diary and also add entries as Clara. Rude. Wait, what? <laughs> <That is laughs> yes. Like, yes. That is like the most psychotic yeah it's like that's like weird gaslighting yes and so he would diary gaslighting yes he would add entries i feel like he was just like projecting what he wanted her to do in his diary entries as clara it was very weird very weird like diarists were a thing back then yeah like 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 I mean, like Anne Frank, she said she wanted to publish her diary and everything. Yeah. These were things that people would actually publish and whatnot. Is this maybe he was getting so into she's going to be a prodigy. She's going to be famous. I yeah. want her diary to sound good. Mm-hmm. Or was this like, I secretly want to be Clara. I think it's a little co- a little bit from column A and a little bit from column B, honestly. Okay. Because you are right that diaries are a big thing. Um 
there, I feel like there is a lot of detail of her life. This was kind of like, I'm going to, uh, full disclaimer here, I am not a classical music connoisseur. So I was really amazed at how much detail there was about her life and about her kind of friend circle, which I'll kind of touch on a little bit later. But yes, diaries were a big deal. Um, Robert and, uh, excuse me, well, I haven't gotten to Robert yet, but um, her and her later husband, they had a joint diary. Uh, So diaries were big. They were definitely a fad at the time. So you're right on that. Um, He, uh, some more crazy stuff from dad. He would force her to be kind of like the negotiation liaison for shows. She's like, keep in mind, she's like 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, and she's the one that is being pushed to negotiate for herself and her father and would be in the middle of like business quibbles, which I think is wildly inappropriate for a child to be a part of. It's like... Yes, and uh, Clara, if you could go negotiate our contract. <laughs> yes. Um, a really bad German accent. Yes. <laughs> yeah, well, this is why she didn't talk for four yeah, years. Yeah, that's what, She's yes. like, I know what y'all are going to start making me do. I don't want to work at that. Yeah. Uh, so um, she, I think I mentioned she debuted publicly at age nine and formally at age 11. Uh, at age 11, she went on a, a pretty vast European tour uh, to London and to Paris, uh, places like this. And of course, big surprise, daddy was snatching all the money and that's what he was all about. Um, and so um, this continued on for Uh, He was her manager until she was 19. So he was taking a percentage of um, of her work that whole time. Um, Though I uh, she 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 did excuse me. She debuted at age nine. That's a pretty critical time uh, uh, because she met at age nine. She met Robert. I mentioned him briefly. Uh, Robert uh, Schumann. Uh, she met at age nine and he was 18 and he was so I am nine going on ten (laughs) leave me the fuck alone I shouldn't be doing any of this but my dad is mean at home So Damn it. Oh, sorry. he was he was so struck by Clara that he quit law school and started taking piano lessons from her dad and at moved 18? at 18 he quit law school so he could hang out with a 9 year old and he moved in <laughs> moved into the Veit hu- the 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 Veet household uh, and um, just kind of wanted to be like in her orbit i guess um, slow down crazy yeah slow yeah. down yeah definitely yes. um, but a he, big old yike for me dog he played the slow game he played <laughs> He played the slow game. Good, he, she's okay, nice. Yes. Good. That's <laughs> what I... Here, here's the thing. Here's the thing. When it comes to stuff like this, it's... I, I can't... Full disclosure, my grandma was 17 when she married my 30-year-old grandfather. So, like, I get times were different, but how's an 18-year-old going to look at a 9-year-old and be like, yeah, give me... Let me break off some of that. Like, that's a little... <laughs> Uh, not unless, just a little. That's insane, for sure. I mean, unless he's like crazy papa, who's like, I see potential. Let's monetize. Let's let's get on board before you know she starts getting famous and rich and everything, and he can cash in later. Is I, it, that seems like a risky bet. Yeah, law school. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Also, like, is it wrong that part of me immediately was like, age difference 
aside, and that's like a big thing to put aside. <laughs> yeah, that's a huge aside. You're quitting. You're quitting law school. Let me speak from uh, experience. No household needs two artists. Yes, exactly. <laughs> S- terrible, te- just terrible life move to drop out of law school and get into music. I can definitely uh, personally attest to that one for I sure. I want to know what his parents thought about that. Because it doesn't sound like it was dropping out of law school to get into music. It sounds like it was dropping out of law school to go take piano lessons yeah that's literally what it was and like it's not like i'm gonna be the next clara it's i'm I'm just gonna learn my skills yeah this nine-year-old yeah as far as i could tell and what i uh, researched it you know he he was taken by her talent Mm. and there's not like respect yes so there was like a respect there but still it was a little weird for him to drop everything over a nine-year-old yeah. I don't care how you spend that one. That's just weird. I feel like yeah. I could spend the entire rest of the episode talking about <laughs> what the fuck was he <laughs> thinking? Like, we've spent a lot of time on this already. I'm sorry. I'm sure you have a lot more information, but I want to break this down. <laughs> what the fuck? Yeah, it's fucked up for sure. Sorry. But I will say that it, I mean, let's say that never happened. I feel like the relationship as it grows is kind of sweet in some ways we'll get to it um okay. so sorry S- big no sidetrack. no it's okay uh so uh at a so this whole time not the whole time but at a certain point they fall in love and they and daddy does not approve and of they, course he doesn't uh, because he's like this is another adult human who can take my child's money yes because like daddy is straight up gary Colemaning this yes like, Except for Clara's a Gary Coleman. Yeah. Obviously. <laughs> yes. Yes. Uh, and as soon as, and you know, I don't know what the laws were in Germany in the 19th century, but as soon as there she. There weren't any. There yeah, were no laws. Well, as soon as she turned 18, he proposed. So obviously there was some sort of social restriction, at least for him, you know, hooking up with a nine-year-old. But uh, so he. Or he was just pulling a Drake and grooming her. Mm. Uh, Sorry. Uh, uh, um, I got, that's, I don't like, I I got issues with Drake. Oh, man. Don't even get me started. Uh, <laughs> uh, so, obviously, Daddy did not like Robert intruding on his possession. I, I don't know. It, he, uh, let's see here. Sorry. Sorry, I lost my track here. Um, at 18, they, uh, sorry, sorry. Uh, at 18, um, he proposes. He obviously refuses to grant permission to the marriage and they just kind of are in this, um, what's the word? They're just kind of, everything's kind of up in the air. Um, and a plan started bubbling for, uh, excuse me, a plan started bubbling for him, for uh, Clara to escape the clutches of daddy. So she uh, starts traveling a little bit on uh, to, uh, to perform and she hatches a plan to um, book some shows in Paris. Um, and in that time, she pulls a fast one and ditches dad. The whole time before, she really insisted on going alone. She tried to, uh, dad tried to get a chaperone to go with her. Robert was worried about this whole thing, but she had the plan all ready to go. She, because of all of the um, a business kind of uh, acumen that she was taught when she was a child, she felt comfortable breaking off from dad and going it alone. So she took a huge risk going out to Paris, which was pretty far away, and she 
uh, booked some shows, and she had some sort of residency in Paris. Um, and while she's gone, Dad is writing letters. Frederick is writing letters to. <laughs> this is absurd. She's he, he's begging her to a not get married, but b go on tour with him, which is like okay. Wait, I, I get wait, it. He's performing, or he's her chaperone as like his manager, I guess. No, he's not performing. He just teaches. He, you know, he's the very much the, the for those who cannot do teach sort of uh, mm. persuasion. Um, uh, so she ditches dad, is living in Paris. He's begging her to come back, and uh, yeah, because cl- he doesn't know how to do anything without her. Well, because he's relying on her for money, and so uh, Clara understandably is uh conflicted she loves her dad because you know these it's complicated it's obviously complicated and but she ultimately wants her freedom so she goes home and what she decides to do is she sues for her right to marry robert schumann which is absurd and because of this clara is kicked out of her house moves in with her mom and uh clara and robert go to court with frederick and Frederick takes a shit on Robert Schumann. He's defaming his character, calling him socially inept, an alcoholic. And I take uh, exception to this one. Uh, just legally, you, or uses the the legal defense that he's a bad musician and that's why he shouldn't marry Clara. <laughs> which is like, okay. I mean, I get isn't it. That, you don't. You don't. That- I think that was the, the I think that was the legal defense for uh, Avril divorcing Chad Kroger, right? <laughs> yes, yes, yes. They um, did get divorced, right? I didn't make that up. How old is Clara at this point? She is eighteen, nineteen. She's oh, uh, okay. yes, she's in the eighteen, nineteen range, um, and she is uh, battling uh, for her freedom. Um, Frederick also says that he uh, that Robert doesn't make enough money to support himself. Um, uh, he does a little projecting, saying he on, uh, that Robert only wants her for her talent and wealth. I'm like, sure, guy, all right, I'm yeah. sure that's what you think. Uh, Clara, uh, he also says that Clara is unable to tend a home because she is just a musician, which is rude, frankly. Uh, and the whole. Uh, the whole ordeal humiliated Clara and Robert and sucked them dry financially. So uh, the legal battle went on and on, and um, Frederick eventually accepted that he was losing. Uh, as far as I can tell, it was a month, months-long, drawn-on kind of uh, situation in court. And so when he realized that he was losing, he just started going door-to-door and just smearing his own daughter. He started spreading lies and sabotaging future gigs, saying that she's dumb, that she'll break your instruments. Um, and, and so he just like went for broke. He just kind of was desperate, basically. This is bananas. <laughs> and so uh, it shouldn't surprise you that, or it should hearten you at least to know that the couple won the lawsuit. And in right. 1940, they got married. And... This is uh, certainly a bright spot in the story um, because this is where their relationship really takes off. They have a really great uh, working musical relationship and just romantic relationship. They had eight children together. Um, And as far as the music goes, 
the way they kind of worked, if you remember, Clara is the virtuoso child prodigy, and Robert was the guy who started playing piano at 18. And as someone who started playing piano at 18 as well, I can tell you that you're not going to get very far if you're competing with someone who started at four. I yeah. guarantee you. Uh, so <clears throat> the kind of relationship that they had was he would kind of come up with an idea, just kind of like a big picture idea, and she uh, would expand, arrange, and perform. Um, oh, they did teamwork. Yeah, it was te- it was teamwork. Which oh, that's adorable. I know it is very sweet. I I am a little. If I'm being very progressive, I'm a, a little annoyed that Robert uh, just kind of rode the coattails of of Clara because ultimately he at the time was more famous and more popular and more influential than Clara, which is Wait. fucking bogus. Well, hold on, hold on. how? For being an idea man. Wait, yeah, he got being, credit for that? Well, because he... he I, you can't see me, listeners at home, but he... Uh, I'm using air quotes. He, he did write them. He wrote the core ideas, but she expanded them and arranged. In music, there's a different credit for arranging than there is for oh. writing or for composition. <gasps> no. Yeah. Okay, I take back teamwork then. Well, so teamwork. I do think it's sweet, and I want to take this moment to call out or recognize some of because I do think it is very romantic when two married couples make music together. It's beautiful. I love it. It's yeah. it, it plays to the romantic side in me. Um, I was I reminisced on some other married couples who write together. If you know Carol King and Greg Goffin. Yeah. They were a married couple that wrote together. So sweet. And then my favorite, hold on, I always butcher their name, and I wanted to give them a shout-out because I love them so much. Um, Felice and Boudlo Bryant are my other favorite married couple um, uh, writers. And so I do think it is sweet, but I think it's a little bogus that she she didn't really get her um, notoriety until after she died, of course. Um, the people who wrote... The Frozen music were married too. Really? Mm-hmm. Yeah, they didn't let it go. They didn't let their love go. No, they did not. I hope <laughs> they. they sp- I hope they split that shit fifty-fifty for sure. Uh, <laughs> um, so okay, uh, fair warning. This is where it gets sad. Um, Wait, this is where it gets sad. <laughs> this is where it gets sad, um, and there's some more sadness too. Uh, uh, at one of their babies died. Uh, I remember that you mentioned they had, uh, I mentioned they had uh, eight children. Um, One of their children died. And at this juncture, Robert started spiraling and he really kind of, this is a bad pun, but went off the deep end. (laughs) He attempted to, uh, uh, he attempted suicide by jumping into the Rhine and he was then. I love when the bad pun comes before. Before, yeah. (laughs) It was like, you don't know this is a bad pun. It's coming. And then we're all like, ooh. Yeah, that's it. It's not so bad, but uh, he was, and he, so obviously this was before really people had a grasp on mental health. Um, He, Mm -hmm. they just shuttered him away for two and a half years and he- That's how you solve problems. You what? Repress. That's how you solve problems. That's how you do it. Yeah, just shutter him away. Repress. Uh, And he died in confinement. And I have a little quote that I found during his last moments. During his confinement, he was- uh, not allowed to see Clara. Although um, a friend of his was uh, free to see him, Clara finally visited him two days before his death. He barely recognized her and was only able to speak a few words. That was like the last moment they had together. As far as I've read, they had a very deeply romantic relationship. And so it's really sad that this is the way that 
and Robert went out quick. They were only married for four years after this uh, this decline began. So it was they burned hang on, uh, hard hang and on. bright. Hang on. That's also a lot of children in eight, in four years. No, they weren't married for four years. They were married four years after he attempted suicide. He, they they right. Well, uh, that's a good question. That I think there's some. Uh, I'm trying to do baby math right that's now. That's a lot of not, babies. That's, that's he, a lot of babies per anniversary. That's Double true. Enough. I might have. I might. I might have to. I might have the to follow a, a, a follow-up recording on the timeline of the babies, but it might be that it, no, that is a good point. You can't have eight babies in four years. That's definitely not. Well, okay. I mean, you know, the traditional, the traditional two-year uh, anniversary gift is twins. Yeah. So <laughs> <laughs> it's customary. It goes, um, it goes paper and then twins. twins. <laughs> yeah. And then like a clock <laughs> and then more twins. Yeah. Are we at eight yet? <laughs> um, so I will say I mentioned uh, early on that um, because of Frederick and his kind of schooling situation, she had, excuse me, I burped. Um, I had no friends or excuse me. She had no friends. <laughs> <laughs> she, as soon as Gareth burped, he lost all of his friends. <laughs> she had no friends, but um, as in adulthood, she definitely um, was, it's weird to use the word scene, but she was definitely um, well integrated into the German classical music scene. She had a nice little crew that surrounded her to comfort her in this time, um, and they were all famous. She had famous friends. And oh, so they weren't like groupies. They no. They were like other musicians. No. Uh, Jenny. What would, sorry, what would Claire's groupies be called? Uh, wait, it says Clara Schumann. Uh, shoe maniacs. There it is. There it is. That's good. Dab. Shoe monsters. Dab. <laughs> um, so her friends were Jenny, uh, Jenny Lind, Pauline Vera Doe. Uh, who were both opera singers. Uh, Joseph Joachim, who was a, a violinist, a, a conductor, composer, and one of the three Bs, Johannes Brahms. That is what? one of her claim to fames is that she pushed Johannes Brahms into the public spotlight. So that is a big thing that she uh, that she did. Actually, it was Joseph Joachim who brought Brahms into the Schumann family circle and said, hey, this dude is legit. And Maker. It's true. I, Sorry, I was, I've just been watching Game of Thrones, so I thought I'd throw that out. I don't know if I used it correctly. Uh, I the the <laughs> the way I gathered that they were all famous is that they all had very extensive Wikipedia pages, which impressed me because, like, two hundred years down the line, if all of my friends had Wikipedia pages, I would be pretty impressed. That's that's the mark. How many of your close friends have wiki pages? I mean, yeah. do you guys have Wikipedia pages about you? I mean, and you I know, can make one. You know that you're not a child prodigy until your dad starts hacking into your Wikipedia page and editing it himself. <laughs> into your live journal? Yeah. Is that still a thing? Your Zanga. Um, <laughs> so uh, after Robert's death, um, she really kind of stepped away from the public spotlight. She did still tour. She didn't uh, compose nearly... She only wrote one more piece um, after his death, and it was for him, Tear. No. It was... And... Uh, and he still somehow probably got all the credit for Yeah, it. Um, of course. Um, 
she's her income at this time then i don't making money well from touring from touring definitely i mean because she toured extensively she because eight children with eight children she was yes i mean that i cannot emphasize that enough uh touring with eight children is i don't even understand especially if you're pregnant family she had her own family personal roadies that she didn't have to pay for yeah, that's true. Crab Actually, hold that thought. Hold that thought. That will come later. Um, oh, no. In a way, in a way. Not like roadies, but similar. Um, so, uh, and I, I found this bit about her that I feel like highlights her. Actually, oh, perfect segue, actually. I found this bit about her that uh, kind of illustrates her standing in the classical music scene. I say classical, but they weren't talking about classical music that way then. But her standing in the music scene at the time uh, in 1878, when she was 59, she was appointed to be the first piano teacher of the Dr. Hulk uh, Conservatory uh, uh, in Frankfurt, Germany. And she chose this uh, particular conservatory because the director had accepted her conditions that she would not teach more than an hour and a half a day, was free to teach at home, had four months of vacation per year so she could tour during the winter, and she demanded two assistants, two of which were her children. Roadies. She's crushing it. So obviously she worked her way up to a point that... I mean, girl was raised to be a negotiator, let's be honest. Yes, obviously. <laughs> yeah, t- totally a good call. Yes, absolutely. Raised, she obviously crushed the negotiation of this job. Uh, and so I thought that was an impressive kind of illustration of her kind of standing uh, at the time. Um, her last public performance was in 1891 uh, at the age of 72, continued teaching um, all throughout that time afterwards. And then uh, sadly passed away of a stroke in 1896 at the age of 76. And she was buried next to her hubby, Robert. Oh, yeah. So sweet. Um I kind of compiled some things that I found that just l- further illustrate um, her uh, kind of uh, stance in the greater world of music. She was absolutely a pioneer in women's performance. Uh, more specifically, women at that time were just singers. And she was the first uh, instrumental performer. That's why I call her the first lady shredder, because I... Uh, I dug in and listened to uh, her compositions, and she can play. She definitely can play. Um, she was an aggressive advocate for her contemporaries, Brahms, uh, primarily, uh, and was a advocate for her husband. That's a lot. After he died, a lot of her time and energy went to performing his work, which is sweet and sad at once. She kind of lost the writing bug, but she kind of. She soldiered on with uh, her husband's work um, after his death, which I think was really sweet. Um, She also was um, kind of shoulder to shoulder with absolute legends, even beyond Brahms. Mendelssohn, Felix Mendelssohn. uh, He conducted. Yep, total total casual name drop. He uh, conducted a lot of her um, concertos. I listened to uh, one particular concerto that he conducted. Obviously, it wasn't his conduction obviously but uh because you know uh he uh let's see oh this one i really identified with she was a pioneer in performing from memory um which uh i identify with because i can read music to some degree and in my world we more so have like chord charts and obviously maybe not obviously but i can definitely read 
core charts. But I uh, just anecdotally, Natalie, you were there. I played a show somewhat recently where I was playing three sets in a row for like three different songwriters. I was playing bass, and I. Could... He was also wearing long jeans and a and a denim jacket, and it was like. It was summer. It was it was June. It was I think it was my mom's birthday, so it was like June 29th. So it was absolutely scalding, and I was just like, "Well, I'm just gonna, you know, I, you know, I'm, I'm here in my denim. On this you can't you can't see me. I'm 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 quite frail and quite wee, so I need a little extra love. You know, I need Aww. a little extra protection. <laughs> So, uh, <laughs> so she pioneered performing from memory. Most people, uh, and that has that she was kind of one of the first to do that, and that has picked up over time uh, over the last two hundred years or so, where a vast majority. Uh, I feel like, from what I found, is about fifty fifty split as far as people who perform from memory and use the sheet music in front of them. But me personally, I can't. Uh, I can't have music in front of me. I get too distracted. So I definitely identified with that kind of pioneering moment. Um, she was uh, now, like I said, not a classical music scholar. And I understand if folks listening are also not a, uh, a, a scholar in this world, but she definitely had some heavy influence, he- heavy influences on some people. Matilda Verne, who she taught, uh, Matilda Verne, uh, uh, passed on what she learned to Solomon. He was kind of like a share of classical music, Solomon. Uh, and another student of Matilda Verne was Carl Friedberg, who brought what he learned uh, about Clara Schumann to Juilliard, which then spread to American uh, composers and performers, Malcolm Frager and Bruce Hunderford. Um, so she obviously had some influence. Um, and just a little sidebar, she was on the 100 Deutschmark from 89 to 2000 before they went over to the Euro. So, no way! So Gosh. she was, I, I, as far as I can tell, husband took, uh, Robert took the limelight during her life. And then afterwards, people started, started coming around to the fact that she was the one who was actually the shit. And she was the genius behind, uh, behind the family, for sure. So, I mean, I don't care what country, what time period if you can get on money on currency yeah. that's a big they don't just slap anyone's face on there. that is true it's like it's like it's one thing to like make the money it's another thing to be on the money. to be the money you gotta be the money <laughs> you the money i'm gonna make an inspirational poster for my desk that says be the money be the money <laughs> <laughs> uh, so that's that's kind of like the outline of her life that I have. I do have uh, uh, Rip. Feel free, feel free to chime in. I have a little extra piece about a particular kind of event in her life that I could uh, talk about if you want. I'm not sure where we're at with time. I'm I'm down to hear. Let's uh, do it. An, let's, yeah, go for it. It may not be as long, but I thought it was interesting, and I definitely kind of. Um, uh, uh, what's the word? I don't know what the word is, but I liked the story. Um, uh, so in the early 1840s, um, right around the time that they got married, uh, Robert and uh, Clara, there was something called the War of the Romantics. And w- w- this started in the 1840s with the founding of the new German school. There, there was two definitive schools of thinking for classical music in the Romantic era. And it was, uh, for us, it's easy, easy to divide them into the progressive school and the conservative school. Uh, this was just like an intellectual beef that challenged what music should be. Um, and the conservatives uh, wanted to uphold the 
uh, Beethoven, I'm not sure if that's a word, but it is now. It is the, now. The Beethoven traditions that focus on the technicality of the compositions and was just the only, they, they called it absolute music. That's how I, I thought that was pretty pretentious, but <laughs> they called it absolute music. And it just was very focused on music and nothing else. Um, the conservatives felt that it was the performer's job to suppress emotions as much as possible. And uh, they felt that... Um, Oh, as they, it was their job to suppress emotions as they felt that it got in the way of con- uh, of conveying the composer's true message. Uh, the prog- the the progressive, uh, excuse me, the progressives conversely were uh, experimental in their composition and in their performance. They felt uh, the composer and the performer should emote kind of equally, and they felt that they should render what's called an extra musical narrative, uh, which means uh, attaching things like poems and stage art and choreography to the music to just kind of basically they felt like they should supplement it or they could to further kind of uh, uh, move the narrative forward of the music. Uh, The major players, this is where I kind of uh, diverge. I'm a big, I've become a big fan of Clara Schumann, but this is where me and her diverge in thought. She is of the very stringent conservative angle. Uh, She believes in absolute music. Um, Her and Brahms and uh, Joseph Joachim and the Leipzig Conservatory were very uh, cavalier in their uh, pursuit of this absolute music. And then uh, conversely, they had the progressives. They called it program music. Um, or music of the future that was led by uh, the new German school, uh, Richard Wagner, which may be familiar to some folks, and Franz Litz, which I learned is the root of Litzomania, if that rings a bell, the Phoenix song Litzomania. Yeah. And which directly uh, was influenced by the, uh, the, the Beatlemania phrase. Uh, this guy, Franz Litz, was a just a total showman and people were very perturbed by his um showiness you know <laughs> one thing is there there was accounts of people being um uh, upset that he pursed his lips intensely while he played i was like whoa slow down there guy you know he's uh, <laughs> <laughs> they were upset about lips as lits yes that's difficult to say Brahms, uh, so this got pretty intense. It was kind of a, like I said, an intellectual beef. Brahms uh, at one point uh, published a manifesto uh, in 1861 signed by Clara Schumann and Joachim and uh, about 20 or so other musicians which decried the purveyors of the music of the future as contrary to the innermost spirit of music, strongly to be deplored and condemned, which I thought was pretty damning. Ooh. So, wait, so they they didn't like it because it had too much like emotion. They didn't like it because they were they felt that the uh, program music, the progressive crowd, they felt that uh, the program music crowd felt that, or excuse me, the absolute music crowd felt like they were veering too far away from the purity of what Beethoven had um, kind of put out into the world, where the uh, progressives felt like uh, 
Beethoven was the new starting point. Like, this is the new beginning and let's go forward. Whereas mm. the uh, conservatives were like, this is the pinnacle and let's not even bother going any farther. Yeah. Basically. Okay. Yeah. Well, it sounds to me kind of like, um, like modern art, how people, like, you know, you throw paint at totally. a canvas like and that's art. Pilots. And they're like, no, you need to have technique and everything. Yes. And modern artists are like, this is more like expressionism a, and everything. They're like, this is a banana taped to a wall. Yes, that exactly. That is my art. <laughs> That's a waste of a banana, yeah. in my mind. <laughs> Bananas are going extinct, so... But, but you, wouldn't, you wouldn't have thought about that if uh, you hadn't seen my banana taped to a wall. Mm. This is true. It <laughs> <laughs> sounded weird. <laughs> making you think. Making you think. Yep, it's art. That's a uh, waste of a good wall. Damn it. <laughs> yeah, I've what? seen Cass's banana, and I don't want it anywhere near my walls. What is the art? The banana or the wall? See, <laughs> y'all, we have already started a dialogue here thanks to my art, which Natalie had said first, and I took credit for. So really, I'm like a Robert Schumann situation. Incredible. Inspiring, uh, inspiring, truly. Uh, but uh, Litz and Wagner, uh, they also had their fair, sha- fair share of shade to throw. Um, they, so apparently uh, Robert Schumann had a magazine, a music magazine that he, uh, that he founded. And this was after Robert was dead. Litz and Wagner, they put together an anniversary celebration of said magazine and did not invite Clara. And yeah, she was pissed. She uh, described Wagner as uh, wearing himself out in atrocities, describing his work as horrible and another one of his works as the most repugnant thing I have ever seen or heard in all of my life. Oh, my God. So she... Yes, she went hard, definitely. Uh, she even refused. She refused to share a stage uh, with Litz or Wagner, or even be in the same room as them. And this beef stretched out until her death. She did not let up on this beef. She was f- firm in hating these folks for sure. And and when they and when she when they were invited to her funeral, uh, they just replied with snake emoji, snake emoji, snake emoji. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, though, uh, this is the sad final note, uh, all of her friends that backed her in this, uh, war of the romantics, Brahms, Joachim, etc., they all bailed on her, uh, e- either shortly before or, uh, shortly after her death, that they were like, yeah, actually, Litz and Wagner, they kind of know what's up. So that was kind of a sad, and I, 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 I kind of, th- I mentioned before, I, you know, I personally, I, I don't know, I can kind of understand both sides of the argument. Like, for me, when it comes to songwriting, I'm a purist. But when it comes to just music as a whole, I'm all about, like, uh, progressing and exploring and trying new shit and getting weird if you need to. So I can understand both, but ultimately, I, in that instance, I probably would have been on the side of Litzomania. Gareth, can you remind me... But also tell our listeners what uh, what instruments can you play? I play, you know, your basic kind of rhythm instruments is what I call them: uh, guitar, bass, piano, drums. Uh, I do uh, this. This podcast was kind of the first um, uh, theme 
uh, that I did, and I've been getting, I've been doing a lot more of that kind of work. Um, but that's kind of the realm that I work in. I am. It's funny that I am uh, highlighting this lady shredder, um, maybe because deep down I am jealous because I am not a shredder, which is okay. I've accepted that in my heart. Um, but, uh, but yes, to answer your question, those those are the and there's a lot of things that you can do with those four instruments. Um, so that's what I do. That's what Quadruple I do. threat. I try four important ones. Yeah, that's those also, are the most important ones for sure. Also, I can attest that he can fake the harmonica real good. Oh, my God. <laughs> Anyone can fake. All you have to do is breathe. There's nothing involved other than breathing. Make Don't... sure you have the right key. Yes, exactly. Harmonica. You have to be able to, like, have a, a moment of being able to, like, observe a key. And then if you can do that, then all you have to do is breathe in time. And you then you're harmonica You have to have the right harmonica. Because I didn't realize for the longest time, like, if you, like... All harmonica is only in the key of C. And if you want to do a different key, you got to get a new harmonic. Yes, true. However, there is a chromatic harmonica, which is made famous by uh, our boy Stevie Wonder. Whenever mm. he appears on tracks, he's playing that chromatic harmonica, which is difficult. That, that has all, that's like playing a piano, but with your you know mouth, I guess. Yeah. Or you just do like our boy John Popper and get yourself a vest made of harmonicas. Boom. Wait. Oh yeah, like a, he's like a yeah. gunslinger, but the with... bandoliers, bandolier of harmonicas. <laughs> harmonicas. Yes, I'm just really offended. Like Gareth, don't downplay the harmonica because you're really just trying to take a moment <laughs> away from from 17 year old Natalie, and I don't appreciate it. <laughs> yeah, when I, I was like, I really you play the harmonica, swoon. People really, really went nuts over that. I have to say. Uh, I don't know if this is going to make the final cut, but full... Oh, we, uh, it will. It's oh, a- <laughs> okay. Uh, uh, I mean, do you want to tell the story, or do you want me to, or what? What, just that I... That I... That a harmonica does it for me? I don't know. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> no, I did a thing in front of my high school uh, uh, senior year, and I played guitar and harmonica at once, and the whole school went crazy. Oh, mm-hmm. Of course. Yeah, Did you have the little the... necklace thing? Yeah, yes. I had the oh, little yeah. necklace. Yeah, he looked like like a Bob Dylan mask. Yeah, that's what I was going for. Yeah, he's he's wafy enough too. To yes, really it's true. It. Just so um, that's all I have. That's all I have on uh, on Clara. Um, I'm I'm glad that I got to highlight her, and I honestly, um, uh, it was this is gonna be a real ice cold male take on this <laughs> um, but I found it interesting feel free to cut this <laughs> I found it interesting I, I you know I don't listen to a lot of classical music and I found it really interesting to listen to a, a female composer and have absolutely no unconscious bias or just regular bias uh, towards like a, a female musician you can't tell when you're listening to her music or any female like instrumental composer there's no hint of femininity it's just straight music which this is like a deep music nerd kind of element of me i just found that to be just a thing i hadn't experienced yet that was just an honest reaction of me just kind of researching this person and digging into her music and kind of getting a vibe of what she was like i thought it was really cool to 
be reminded that music is universal and there is no gender in music and there is no anything. It's just music. And um, that was a, the biggest takeaway I had in this whole process, which is kind of, you know, uh, obviously a side note to her as a person and uh, this whole kind of the whole purpose of this. But that's a really beautiful message. And that's why it's and that's why we always like emphasize like um, learn about history and learn about history that you don't know anything about or something and- or that's like in an area that like you already have an interest in. People like forget that like, yeah, like studying history doesn't mean necessarily like digging into kings and schisms. Yes. Uh, it could be like, I love music. I'm going to research some like mu- music history. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it really, I mean, I always knew that classical music was just a absolute black hole and I was astounded at how much information there was on all of these different people and how much history there i mean i love music history but it basically is like nothing pre-jazz and so it was really cool to kind of step out of my comfort zone within a comfort zone of mine and learn uh for the really for the i mean i guess i took some music history classes in high school and college but this was really uh the kind of the first time i got into the nitty-gritty of a singular um composer in any kind of classical era um so i'm definitely grateful that you guys asked me on because i got to kind of possibly open up a new portal for myself and i hope that i can keep going down the classical trail um concurrently with all the other musical trails that i'm constantly going down so. and it all began because we made you learn the harpsichord uh, you're welcome uh, <laughs> <Aerith>. <laughs> um i want to actually uh, i the topic i have kind of i guess yeah uh connects to what you're talking about so i have been um wanting to learn more about board games. I don't, I don't know. I just thought there's so much there. I'm sure (laughs) I, I do a lot of topics on like people. And so I was trying to find like an event, but anytime I get an event, it's just about the one person. And so I was like, I want to get a thing. And I just Googled board games and this, I thought you didn't Google is the monopoly man real. Oh, he is Natalie. We all know that you just have to believe Oh, okay. Speaking yeah, of Monopoly, did y'all watch the McMillions documentary? No. no. It's on HBO. It's about how the uh, McDonald's Monopoly game in the 80s, 90s, and early 2000s was rigged. Oh, I heard about this. Yeah. It's wild. App, oh, five star recommend. Yeah. You know, your boy watched it because it took a <laughs> lot of place in Florida. Uh, Is that where you're from? Are you from Florida? <laughs> oh, born and bred in the swamps. Wait, and... hey, I was I was born in Florida. Where where where'd you grow up? Well, uh, funny enough, I grew up where uh, Uncle Jerry was a cop in Hollywood, Florida. Seriously. Oh, yeah. There you go. I'm, I was born in uh, West Palm. Oh, there and, we go. And my right. family lived briefly the first uh, three years of my existence in Jupiter. Uh, very familiar with both. I'm, I'm, I don't visit a lot of family there. There you go. I have. I'm, I put, I'm putting that out there for the first time uh, uh, to the internet because I typically have deep shame about my Florida roots. But. Be yeah, proud. I was going to say, I didn't know about this, Gary. Yeah. <laughs> she will never let you friendship. forget it. Yeah, no. Anyone who learns this about me does not let me forget it. There's nothing more full of integrity than a Floridian that left Florida. 
Be proud. Rip and Gareth, you both left the swamp for another swamp, though. We already said that in Rip's hometown a hero episode. Yeah. Chicago's a swamp. Is it? We built on a, we built on a swamp, BB. Damn. Chicago's named for a wild onion, like a wild, stinky swamp onion. Oh, we Chicago? are getting Chicago? so off. Is it Chicago? Chicago. Yeah, it's like the, uh, the Chicago, I think. Oh, yeah. I mean, I've never All heard right. anyone pronounce it, but go. I have a drawing of it on my wall. No big deal. <laughs> of course you do. <laughs> very Nerd. cool. Okay, very, reeling very it cool. back in, reeling it back in. I Googled board games. Board games. And it was, and then it took me to tabletop, and then it mentioned German style board games, and I was like, "What is a German style board game? A very aggressive board game." Well, actually, <laughs> the it's kind of not. board game that ruins families. No, so the uh, it is a. Uh, well, it's funny to say that because it's very intentionally not that. It is a class of tabletop game with. Quote, indirect player interaction and abstract physical components. So, after World War II... There uh, not anything physical in a board game. The board games are for the indoor kids. Don't make them get physical. That's rude. <laughs> um, so, so, German-style board games, or Euro games, as they're also called, um, after World War II, uh, they kind of picked up in like the 50s and whatnot... And they were more um, strategy games and games that you could play with other people, but individually, um, due in part to an aversion in post-war Germany to products which glorified conflict and warfare, mm. which I thought was so interesting. Because when I saw German-style board game, I'm thinking of like really dull and droll, and we must think very hard about this, and like very formulaic and one and it is but it was also interesting that the reason they leaned into this so hard was because post-world war ii they're like let's not talk about the warfare (laughs) (laughs) and it uh it differs from traditional american style games which involve more luck conflict and drama if you think of like I don't know, like Pictionary, you know, or it's very team oriented. It's like, we're going to roll dice. Um, it's conflict, warfare, um, just very American. And so, uh, yeah, I think that, I think that sorry. No, you know what? I oh, no, say, it would be like, sorry. So, yeah. Sorry. Sorry. Though sounds like a very German board game. <laughs> like it's a very schadenfreude Entschuldigung. board game. Yeah. Cool. Sorry. Um, Settlers of Catan is an example of a German style board game. It was first first published in 1995, um, and it paved the way for the genre outside of Europe. So all of these kind of strategy games, you think of uh, there's a game called Acquire, which is essentially Monopoly. It's you um, are. It's like uh, hotels and rent and all that stuff. So it's things that you can play with other people, but it's dependent upon how well you can strategize, game plan. Um, Nothing is dependent upon you, my partner, you know, other than like we all start at the same place. We all get the same amount of money or whatever. Um, And then it's just how well can you strategize and how good are you at the whatever it's about? 
Um, these are really popular in Germany in the 70s and 80s, and then Settlers of Catan hit, and it that's when it really started spreading outside of Europe. In the United States, though, uh, these are still, like, really niche games. Like, you think of, like, Dungeons & Dragons, Settlers of Catan, like... Um, Kind You're of just like describing my weekend. Well, I know. And as I'm looking through all of this information about it, I was like, I'm just going to drop some information and let Natalie go because she <laughs> will be able to talk about this. I have been trying to get in on a Dungeons and Dragons game for so long, and I've never felt more nerdy than being like, no one will let me play Dungeons and Dragons <laughs> with them, including it's, Natalie. It's because for I know for me personally, and this probably happens a lot. Cass has been asking me to join my Dungeons and Dragons campaign for years, but we've been playing the same campaign for years. Okay, hold on. So, like, we could just, like, roll you a character and, like, have it be, like, one day we're, like, walking through this mountain, down this path, and, like, we just, like, happen upon your character, but... Hold up. So, first of all, in the Chicago improv community, there's a lot of D&D fans and whatnot, which was interesting because I was talking to, maybe I was talking to you, Natalie, and you're like, improvisers are so good at Dungeons and Dragons. Because it's good all about. We're bad. We're good, but it's about like character creation and building mm-hmm. off the story and whatnot. Um, we're, very, we're very comfortable with the actual role playing portion, um, but we also will get very distracted by dumb bits. Oh, I'm like sure. things that we've done to our own characters. Yeah. Shout out to Otherworld Theater and Improvised Dungeons and Dragons. Have a lot shout of friends out. who perform shout there. Out. Shout out to uh, PH Comedy Theater that did Improvised Dungeons and Dragons like 10 years ago. And that's actually what got me into playing D&D. <laughs> well, so, we did it first. So back to Natalie backstabbing me. I was, everyone's talking about their D&D games. I was like, oh, you know what? I really want to play D&D. And Natalie's like, you should play with me sometime. I was like, okay, great. When do you want to play? She's like, well, actually, you're going to have to wait a few years. I was like, fuck <laughs> you. Years. Listen, I have several elemental cults that I need to defeat, and then we can talk. Yeah. Yeah. Naturally. See, you didn't know any of those words, so maybe you should start studying now. Yeah, okay. All right, I'm going to start learning about those. Um, so characteristics of Euro games tend to be focused on economics acquisition of resources rather than direct conflict and they have a limited amount of luck the whole like point is like we don't want a roll of the die to determine if someone wins because that's not super fair and it doesn't let me say i'm better than you it's like i played this game better from the start yeah um they definitely differ- definitely less satisfying for family game night <laughs> oh yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, no, well, I don't know. Any game, whether it's dice rolling or strategy, it's going to be a friendship ender because I am competitive. Um, they so so your games also differ from abstract strategy games like chess by using themes tied to specific locales and emphasize individual development and comparative achievement rather than direct conflict. So it's like. There's no, like, I mean, there's a winner and loser, but it's, like, at the end of the game, like, I've amassed more money or I've amassed more resources. They, they're very much trying not to eliminate people. 
So there are, are mechanisms um, set in place to keep people in the game as long as possible. And for like um, achievements you can get throughout the game that maybe your your opponents don't know about. So that you it may seem like you're behind, but then you have all these incentives that pile up. So by the end of the game, it's like, oh, we're closer. Um, yeah, uh, there's low randomness is a really important thing. Oh, and then this was interesting. Game designer as author. Um, it has nothing to do with the gameplay or whatever, but it's kind of like an auteur of film. It's like a lot of emphasis was placed on who made these games and, and giving credit, like the the author's name is put on the title of the box. One might think of, I don't know, the Cones of Dunshire. <laughs> <laughs> who snorted? Who snorted? That, was me, that was me, that was me. I'm a snorter. <laughs> Who, as we all know, was created by the genius Ben Wyatt from <laughs> Parks and Recreation. Um, Very cool reference. Yeah, uh, thank you. I may not play Dungeons and Dragons, but I can reference niche. R- is it RPG? Not RPG. What do you call tabletop games? Tabletop it's games. It's a tabletop RPG. It's just tab- yeah. RPG, that's what it is. Role-playing it's a, it's, games. Well, it's a table, yeah, that's what RPG stands for. Yeah. So it's a tabletop RPG. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's just it's just really basic stuff about, uh, about this German-style board games, but it, it was interesting... Uh, Gareth, you talking about absolute uh, music and like more contemporary of like it's abstract or it's like pure, pure. And this is one of those where it's it was so funny that this style of game was created very intentionally out of like, I, I don't know emotion and like we don't want to talk about war anymore. Let's focus on this. And it's very like there's a, a not a right way and a wrong way to do it, but it is like, you just must play to the best of your ability and like, yeah. know your shit. Um, and it is, it, it says in there, like all the articles and everything. It's like, um, it encourages social play by yourself. <laughs> like it's, I want you to get in a room with other people and play games, but like you do all the work yourself. You don't got to rely on anyone else and you don't have to worry about like someone else doing well, screwing over your own. Ness. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah. Reminds me of a game that a, a board game that me and my wife have called Machi Koro. It's like there is a winner, but it's like no one's ever eliminated, and it's about like allocating resources and reallocating resources. Very cool stuff. Um, but it is fun. I I I feel like I've heard of. The, it's funny that you mentioned this. It's like or are talking about this. I feel like I've heard of this. I don't know where. Who knows what Wikipedia rabbit hole I've dove into, but I feel like I've heard of this, but I'm glad to know more. Well, and so the there's six examples of mechanics common to Euro games. Tile placement, just like the spatial placement of the game, which is usually, it's not going to be like a square board. It's usually shaped weird. Mm-hmm. Auctions, which includes open and hidden auction of both resources and actions from other players and the game itself. Three is trading and negotiation. Four is set collection, collecting a specific amount of resources and groups. Area control, 
and worker placement or role selection. It's a lot of civilization games. Um, Some games that they mention are Carcassonne. I don't know if I'm saying that right. Building a medieval landscape complete with walled cities, monasteries, roads, fields, etc. Which basically just feels like Civilization, the computer game. Um, Puerto Rico, which is... Nerd. (laughs) Develop plantations on the island of Puerto Rico, set in the 18th century. Um, Imperial, which is, as an international investor, influence the politics of pre-World War I European empires. And the most oddly specific niche game, Bruxelles 1893. Take the role of an Art Nouveau architect during the late 19th century and try to become the most famous architect in Belgium, which now (laughs) I need to play. (laughs) I want us to just like play that like ourselves without the actual game yeah and just be like and just i'll just like write you letters and be like this is what i'm doing as a fancy architect (laughs) they seem all very scenario based as opposed to like these are the rules of the game you know like we're not trying to pass go we're not trying to like get all hearts or whatever it's this is the world you live in this is how the world works go conquer the world there's, be best uh, in it there's a game that i bought one time amazon was having like a buy one get one half off situation and because i'm smart i uh i i purposely like sought out two games that were like the same price uh because otherwise i also there was like a game i wanted that was cheaper but i was like oh they're gonna give me half off this like cheap game instead of listen you gotta save a you gotta save a penny Mm. Um, and so I bought a game because it had great reviews and the game was pretty Um, the game's called Takedo and it's literally like you're on it's not the Silk Road but it's like the Silk Road (gasps) but it's not the Silk Road you love the Silk Road I know what is the Silk Uh, Road the Silk Road Wow, history ban. Oh, it's like it's like Marco Polo. It's where a lot of trade happened in like the Mongol Empire. Yeah, it like literally run ran like it connected like east and west. Like so you're saying all the way so you're saying I should west. read a book. Oh, or yeah, you could read go a book and I'll to, find out. Or you could go back to season one, our episode on the tale of Genji. Ooh. Oh, that's true. What episode? Yeah, it's a, oh, I'll find it's it a network of it's a network of trade routes. Uh, and so, and it connects like the east and the and the west side of uh, Asia, oh. um, but it's like central to a lot of stuff that happens in history because and a lot things of that Natalie talks about happens along the Silk Road. I actually don't know that much about it. I'm just fascinated by it because it's like was you should do for so long. You should do a full on deep dive Silk Road episode. Great. Do you have uh, twelve hours of time to record? <laughs> no, but I have a JSTOR account now. <laughs> Um, but I highly recommend if anyone out there is looking for uh, a game that people can't really get mad at each other while they're playing because it's very, it's a, it, I mean, it's Japanese, but it's a very, like, in the vein of a German board game. Yeah. Uh, where it is, like, you kind of just decide. You, you There are parts on the board that you have to stop. Like, if you, like, pass a hotel or an inn or whatever, you have to stop. But, like... And then you can decide if you want to keep going or if you want to stay for a night. If you stay for a night, you, like, acquire this thing. And then maybe you're trying to collect these sets of things. And it's just very, it's a very interesting game because there is a winner at the end. And you are playing with other people. 
but literally nothing they do matters to what you're doing unless they beat you to the end of it and technically win. So yeah. kind of like Animal Crossings or no? Uh, I've not played the new one, um, but kind of like Animal Crossings, actually. <laughs> actually, so do you know what's do you know what was interesting? Because I was just thinking about like a lot of the games we've described as like Euro games or German style games are a lot like video games, you know, where it's. I mean, most of them are like, you don't want to die, but it's like you are living in this world, you're this character, and you just got to play on your own. Um, yeah. So in this article from The Atlantic, um, uh, it said that, and this is U.S. sales, um, grew by 28%, oh, sorry, board games uh, grew sales grew by 28% between the spring of 2016 and 2017. And these are like um, tabletop German uh, style board games. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was just, what, four years ago. Yeah. Um, revenues are expected to rise at a similar rate into the early 2020s, um, largely because uh, the target audience has changed from children to adults. So it's like, oh, we all want to play these. Uh, it was interesting that like, the opening line of this article says, um, you know, sales rocketed 28%. When video games were poised to take over living rooms, board games are thriving, which is really interesting um, because, I mean, we're always on our phones and we're all playing, you know, games and whatnot on our Nintendo's Switches, (laughs) what kicks things. Um, But, I mean, think about how many friends, like, how many friends play Secret Hitler? Um, or like exploding kittens or like there are all these games that Slurs yeah. of Catan D and D like it's I don't know if it's like a board game renaissance or what but no I definitely think there's a board game renaissance happening I had a very similar you were kind of fr- freezing on me for a minute so I didn't catch the whole thing but I think you were uh, uh, you know connecting the the dots between board games and video games and I yeah. had this very kind of like no duh realization that board games are exactly like video games just no electricity yeah like I I was just thinking I was like oh I mean the, yeah it's the same thing except you instead of playing over a board with a bunch of other people you're yeah it's just electricity that is changed or over uh, or over an internet connection yeah but it's I literally play- the board is just the tv well, because I played, uh, me and my wife have Pandemic, and that's, I think, when the light bulb went off for me. I'm like, this is just a video game, but just, yeah. you know, yeah. So I've made the connection. So yeah, um, basically exactly what you were talking about with Clara Schumann. Pretty exactly. much. Exactly. Exactly the same. That's my, that's my, that's my tie-in. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Because the creator of German board games uh, was also nine years old. Yes. Yes. Um, oh, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Settlers of Catan, very similar relationship, the creator yep. mm-hmm. to Clara and uh, Friedrich. Friedrich. Robert? Who was Robert. Friedrich? Yep. Friedrich's dad. Robert. Friedrich, Friedrich was dad. Frederick yeah, no, was, was dad. Very... Robert was husband. Yeah, no, the, the creator of Settlers of Catan, uh, their dad was like, you're going to be a board game prodigy <laughs> and we're, we're making acquisition games. So you must negotiate for yourself. I was going to say, actually, Clara would, Clara would be very good at a German style board game. Oh, she yeah. would Traditionalist. Very yeah. Strategic person. Yeah. Glad um, we, glad we uh, tied up really all those loose ends. Yeah, we tied it all together. Yeah. It's beautiful. Um, unrelated to board games, but I just thought of it. Um, what would you guys, if you guys were a child prodigy, uh, writing your own contracts and doing your own negotiations at nine years old, what would be on your writer 
if you were a nine-year-old oh, a nine? now oh, or or gosh. now or 1825 uh we can say now i'll take either answer. like when i was I, like what would you put when i was a nine-year-old yeah oh like this green room better have poly pockets and pound puppies i, mean, I feel like it would have been like i want like two large pizza hut pizzas like at all yeah. times and like pizza fun hut, really you can I negotiate feel like pizza, whatever you want I pizza like, hut is the wrong answer no not now but oh no but no, no then, you're you're right then I'm about, yeah like, then I, I i understand pizza hut was a party actually was. there was i actually saw this article about um like the rise of the Pizza Hut empire or whatever. And it was like in the 90s, it was something about like... It was a community um, gathering place. It, it was, was more than was, just pizza. <laughs> it was like a marketing war or something. I need to find that article. But it was something about how they like, the the way they like built their marketing and whatnot and then the decline. And then I was thinking about it. I was like, I can't remember n- not seeing Pizza Hut commercials or yeah, like hanging out at Pizza Hut or anytime you had a slumber party is let's get Pizza Hut. Yeah, so nine-year-old class needs a bucket of fun dip and like three <laughs> large cheese pizza hut pizzas. Oh yeah, you know what? Fun dip and you know that I love this because I talk myself out of buying it every time we go to a soccer game. Uh 9-year-old Natalie needs some dipping dots. <laughs> oh. I man. don't get dipping dots. Dude, dipping dots. Excellent choice. I would have personally same thing uh, then as I would now uh, Reese's peanut butter cups. Please and thank you. That's all, that's all you that's need. All that's I all I need. need. That's Garrett all I need. Garrett has not changed since he was nine years old. <laughs> that's all we're learning about this. I mean, I haven't gained it's a pound. the same clothes, Yeah, too. I was going to say. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. Uh, you guys can't see it, uh, listeners, uh, but Gareth is wearing a Power Ranger shirt. It's true. Mm-hmm. Tommy. <laughs> that I'm is all kind about of a Tommy. crop top situation. Yeah. <laughs> I was I had uh, all the flip heads when I was a child. If you remember Hell the flip yeah. heads, I had Pops. them all. And and the, I think you know, I believe the flip head, uh, Power Rangers. Yeah, flip head Power Rangers. I had the all of them. Uh, I had the Green Ranger, who I believe turned into the White Ranger. And my parents would not buy me the White Ranger for the complete set, so I spray painted the Green Ranger white, <laughs> and he no longer would flip after that. So that was oh, no. a tough lesson. That sounds about tough right. lesson. Oh man! Well, now that now that we've come full circle to Power Rangers, <laughs> uh, what a delightful romp through Germany that we have been. That's on. true. <laughs> I'm glad. I'm glad that we stuck to you know one great nation. Yeah, a beautiful German romp is what we've done. <laughs> Indeed. Uh, Garrett, thank you so much. First of all, for our our intro music and and all the interstitial music and everything, yeah. it is beautiful. No, it's, it- it's it, exactly what I we say, wanted. Dare I say, as the kids say, it slaps. <laughs> it may or may not be. It doesn't fuck, but it does bop. slap. <laughs> oh, a it's bop. A, yeah, it's a bop. <laughs> wow. Yeah, I mean, you are welcome. It was a true honor. It was so fun to A, do the theme song, and B, do this episode. I am honored and flattered that you guys had me. Well, thank you again. Uh, again, super appreciate it. And, and doing this all remote. Um, yeah, of course. It's a journey. It's an adventure. Can I plug, uh, can I plug some shit before we go? Oh, please uh, do. We're going to let you pl- pl- plug things uh, when we release the episode so that they're timely plugs. Cause okay. That's unless fair. Unless it's something that's forever. It, it's, no, I mean, it's, 
I don't personally have anything to plug, and um, I don't know when this is going to come out, but I was just going to plug uh, musicians on Instagram that need help, like it right now in this situation that we're in. Um, do you want me to do it right now? Yeah, I mean, this episode won't come out till like later this spring, but go for it. Yeah. Um, so, a couple of people I want to shout out and um, urge folks to follow and support. Um, Caleb, uh, the Instagram, these are all Instagram, uh, 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 whatever, tags, or what are they called? What are they called? Handles. Handles, handles. thank you. Uh, Instagram handles, at Caleb Brainweight. It's my buddy Caleb Bro, who's an incredible um, producer, drummer. Um, he does a lot of stuff on Instagram. Uh, there's a band group called Louis Prince um, that I have a bunch of friends in. They just put out an album that would, uh, I'm sure they would love your support. Um, another artist. Well, you sent me that. I listened to it. I liked it a lot. Yes, I love them. And it's, I'm, uh, you know, uh, sad and happy that the album dropped like right as the, the country was going on lockdown. But, you know, it is what it is. Uh, the, he's not really doing anything in particular on Instagram, but I just want to shout him out because I love him so much. It's Caleb Holly at Caleb Holly. Um, another guy at J Rose Drums. And last one at Medium Build. These are all artists that I love that are doing things on the internet to try and make ends meet. And I just want people to support them. Absolutely. Yeah, that's awesome. Well, thank you. Yeah. Thank you for thank you for those plugs. Well, and yes. Thank you for being beautiful. And what a great segue into reminding you, our listeners, that we're also on Instagram. Oh, what? what? Wouldn't you know it? So if you're a uh, if you want to look up look at our Instagram for some uh, visual aids to some of the things that we've talked about on this episode um, and lots of dumb bits and stuff in between uh we are at shared pod on both instagram and twitter so follow us there hey natalie if they want to talk to us or like tell us a little bit more about information where can they reach us oh my god i'm so glad you asked if you have (laughs) any questions corrections or suggestions uh because we're not historians you can uh email us at shared history podcast at gmail.com nailed it natalie crushed it crushed it uh, <laughs> you can also support us on the old patreon our network arcade audio actually has a have as a patreon so if you support their patreon you support us and all of the amazing podcasts on the network that's patreon.com slash arcade audio they'll send you a survey and you just say hey i'll listen to this one and then uh, we reap the benefits. And you also reap the benefits in the form of tasty bonus content and exclusive merch. And maybe eventually a private Discord channel with us Ooh, in it or whatnot. That's fun. Um, these are all things that you can find on the internet. And you can find uh, on ArcadeAudio.net as well. Um, I have been Nat Younger. I have been Cass Maher. And that has been the beautiful baby boy, Gareth Spin. What's up? Uh, and on the ones and twos, as always, has been our dear friend, DJ Rip. Uh, and, <laughs> oh, 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 I thought he was going to drop a, drop a bop. Drop a bop? Drop a bop. A bop. A bop. As the kids say. As the kids say, you know. Yes. Um. We're so glad that you la- learned with us today. And as we always say at the end of every episode, I'm great at things, guys. Everything's fine. But as I like to say, shh.
share you later. Wowie wow wow, Cass and I would like to thank Gareth one more time for coming on the podcast, telling us this story, making us an amazing theme song, and for being my friend for 14 years, because that's a lot of work. Gareth is a Chicago musician and songwriter. He was formerly a Nashville musician and songwriter. He's a musician and songwriter wherever he is. And if you want to find out more about him or his music, you can give him a follow at gspin on Instagram. That's at G-S-P-I-N-N. As always, don't forget to rate, review, and please consider donating to organizations supporting our Black communities. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time, share you later. Thank you for playing Arcade Audio. Play more at arcadeaudio.net.